keep on kissing babies and hugging fat girls. Sell out full of suffering, suck attach, son. It's me, Austin. Oh, son of a bitch. What? It's me, Austin. It was me all along, Austin. And you teeth look like two tight too, Billy. And you book a match with me. That's right, Killing. Look at me. I'm a total package. I will rip Welcome, everybody, to I'm Total F and Marks. I am the King of Sad Style, the man with the largest calves in the world, the St. Germain event. Joining me, as always, Sergeant Slaughterhouse, Zach Attack, and our new third host of Total F and Marks. He is the blueprint, the gold standard, the itemized receipt. I ran out of examples. Robert Carvelis, everybody. Thank you for doing this, Robert. We're excited to have you on board. Outside of the birth of my children, this is the happiest moment of my life. <laughs> there we go. This is going to be fun, man. I'm excited. If you guys didn't listen to last week's episode, Robert is uh, the uh, man behind the WWE creative account. He's also written for MLW and WWE. So, uh, so we're really pumped he's here. I'm looking forward to it, guys. Let's get into it. It's time for the 10 count. Number one, would you guys play... I already fucked this up, guys. Number one, (laughs) would you guys pay Chris Jericho, Jim Ross money to commentate once he retires? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Would you pay him the money he has now? For an announcer. I guess that's the big question that I have. Like one million a year makes sense, but would you pay him the money he's making now as AEW to commentate? Is he that valuable? I don't think like by like um business standards you can just pay a guy for doing less like that. Can you? Isn't that a bad business move? Well, I mean he could he could look at like at what point during the broadcast the ratings went up and make that an argument. Yeah, yeah. Like when I when I was behind this match, it did this number. I don't know. I mean, I definitely think you should pay him Jim Ross money. I mean, that, that was I mean, it was an incredible performance on yeah, Wednesday. Yeah, he's better than Ross uh, at the time. I, that's not a knock against Ross. It's just he's older and um, he's not going to be as quick, and he's not going to necessarily like what he's watching as much, and he's not very good at faking it. Yeah. Um, but Jericho gets guys over. And he's still being a heel. You still, you know, think he's a piece of shit. Yeah, it's, it kind of reminds me of like a Bobby the Brain that could feasibly kick your ass. What do you think, Robert? I think Jericho in smaller doses on commentary is welcome. I think that the act on a weekly basis being out there for, for two hours uh, wouldn't sustain. I, I think he's, he's great in this role. I think his better role down the road when he's ready to retire is as some kind of authority figure he's strong enough to get people over i just think that his shtick over time will become more about chris jericho and less about the betterment of the product overall and and there are just some guys who can can pull back and and make themselves not that visible and there's some guys who make it about them and i think that over time jericho the the performer is going to lean more into that 
Yeah, I think that announcers have the opposite problem that wrestlers do, where wrestlers, you know, they get, they like, you know, they're green and then they get better uh, until their bodies break down, of course. But with announcers, it's like, look at Corey Graves. Like, when he first came on the scene, we're like, thank God, somebody besides Michael Cole. And this past year, he's just been beyond fucking irritating. That you can't you can't really judge a lot of the WWE guys um, by what they're doing. The reason why they shine in the beginning, whether it was Corey Graves or JDL when he was first on there or Foley's brief appearance, is because they they haven't had Vince in their ear. They haven't been beaten down, and you need something that's somewhere between Vince pushing you forward and the AEW world where these guys have complete autonomy and sometimes it's great and sometimes it can go off the rails so i think that graves if he relied on his instincts would still be the same entertaining guy it's just over time he's trying to give vince what he thinks vince wants and you're working for an audience of one jericho is so happy to be free that he's enjoying the novelty for right now but i i just think with him it would wind up wearing thin especially given his penchant for reinventing himself yeah, I mean, every week, I, I don't know, man. I think it would be kind of fun, like, every week he's, like, I mean, I could see him totally doing, like, one week he's doing, like, Johnny Carson gimmicks, like the um, like the Houdini thing, and then the next week he's back to old Jericho. But I, I get, I don't know. I trust him, though. Like, I don't, has there been one role that, and I'm not just trying to be, like, AEW Mark, but has there been one role in Jericho's career that he completely fell flat on the face? I mean, there, there are certain feuds that didn't work like Fandango at WrestleMania 29, but has he ever really fallen on his face with an angle where it was like, okay, this is Chris Jericho's fault? Ooh, I mean, music um, career aside? <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought he wrote Judas. I thought he wrote the lyrics, but he did not. Wow. Not a big music guy. I would go back to his first return in WWE. Oh, was that when he had tried, short hair? Yeah, when he just tried to recreate what he had the first go-round, that, that didn't really work. And then there was the other time where he did the thing where he came back and just didn't talk for a while. Oh, that was terrible. It just it didn't have a, uh, a true payoff. Well, you so, know, it worked so well that first night. And because uh, he got booed like crazy, right? He just stayed silent, and the crowd was going crazy and crazy. Um, or were they cheering him? I don't remember. But yeah, then they just beat it to death. Yeah, I didn't. Like and again, that. could could have been hit. I mean, he's got enough latitude that it could have been something he pitched, and it just kind of fell on you know fell flat on its face. Um, I think in AEW, he has the keys to the uh, the the kingdom. There, he can do whatever he pleases. There, there is no wrong. Hopefully, that doesn't lead to the environment that there was for a lot of the guys in WCW. When there's no ramifications and you have total freedom, you turn into very lazy Kevin Nash. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Kevin Nash ever really loved wrestling like the guys in AEW, but it's possible. If Randy Orton was part of the company, for sure. <laughs> the other concern with Jericho doing commentary or any of these roles is he still thinks he's a rock star. And that's... Uh, that's going to mean that he's going to want to take time off to go record and tour and do all of that. So he's going to have one foot in AEW and, and one foot somewhere else. 
Yeah, and that, I, I think that's absolutely going to happen soon. I think the thing about Jericho is constantly in his career, he's like fallen in and out of love with wrestling. And we forget that because he always comes back. But there's like two-year periods, three-year periods where he's just not really interested. Um, whether it's touring with Fozzie or the Dancing with the Stars thing or whatever. It's like, yeah, he's going to start touring again soon. God, what was the fucking show he did where – like, literally, it was just people dropping shit off a building. I think that was the name of the show on ABC, Dropping <laughs> Shit Off the Building. <laughs> it was uh, – John Oliver did a huge bit about it. it. It was fucking great. Well, he had that. He did BattleBots. Uh, he's done a Battle lot of Bots. shitty movies. Yeah. Um, he, he wants that – you know, he's, he gets that wanderlust. I'm, I'm a little bitter because I was a big Jericho guy uh, from – when I first, you know, kind of got a, a taste of him. And when I joined creative was right after he took his first big hiatus. Oh, so I was really bummed that I never got to work with him. That was something I was, I was really looking forward to, but he figured I was coming down the pike and he's like, fuck this. <laughs> I'm getting the fuck out of this. He seems like a guy as a writer, I would be afraid of. I feel like he'd be collaborative if he can trust you. Yeah. I think if you're coming to him with the the standard script, you have no no chance at all. Yeah. But if you're if you're holding reverence to what he does and it's all about, hey, how can I facilitate your vision? Mm-hmm. Then then maybe you have a you have a chance because he genuinely does love and respect wrestling. Yeah. Are are there writers who just absolutely can't connect with the wrestlers in like a um cuz the hope would be kind of become friends right when it when you then make the best shit or at least like you know respectful colleagues but how do you even get to that point so it, it takes time and it takes a lot of a lot of trust um when i was when i was there at wwe one of the things you ran into is you didn't want the 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 brian uh relationship that he had with edge and christian where it became like you know it's our, our origin christian buddying up to him just because they want to get on tv and then they're getting heat because they're friends with the writer then that that stink can wind up on some guys like shane helms kind of had that with the idea of well he was he was buddies with brian it's what got him on tv and now that brian when i was there was off writing movies and and working at a la and only on conference calls it was like well you know what this guy had his chance uh you know screw him and the wrestlers are always wary of new writers because the writer we don't we don't last uh we have a very short shelf life uh when i was in mlw it was a different story where you're coming at it from a position of i respect what you're doing i want to make you better and when you come at it from that perspective they're a lot more collaborative and that's why doing some of the work that i did early on in mlw was so much more rewarding than anything i ever did at wwe because it really was collaboration and throw stuff together rather than fear the wrath of Vince McMahon because you put a pregnant pause after the third line and now you're gonna have to redo it 15 more times <laughs> it's so funny he was like he gets annoyed about the pregnant pause but has no problem with Snitsky kicking a pregnant woman <laughs> Number but that two. wasn't his fault <laughs> that wasn't whose fault was that that was the creative team <laughs> you won't say who was it you I was there for part of Snitsky. I was not there for the baby kicking. Um, 
what a it's a one episode in, I'm already using the phrase baby kicking. <laughs> it's it's a real it's an honor and a privilege to be here. Um, <laughs> you're playing you're playing to your Vince audience, and if that made Vince laugh, then you were gonna push it. And there's nothing funnier than than kicking a pregnant lady. <laughs> wow. But I, I, my two interviews that I was there, the first interview. Uh, I, I was sat down. This is when I was like 23 or 24. I was like 24 and I, I didn't get the job. But like one of the things this guy literally like asked me was like, Snitsky comes up to you and is annoyed that you haven't been writing for him. What do you do? And I'm like, call for help. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, like, I'm not getting paid for that. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Number two is the Randy Orton, Tommaso Ciampa, Twitter feud a work. To me, uh, it can't be because the payoff doesn't exist. What's the actual right. payoff? That they wrestle each other? It it would look ridiculous. Yeah. The, sorry, sorry, Robert. What were you saying? Oh, that's fine. I was gonna say no. This is this is a hundred percent Randy having fun. Yeah. Um, there's the story that's that's out now that the whole thing about him with the plane was just a gag and it got way out of hand because people thought it was real and he assumed everyone was going to know it was a joke. So he actually said he got a text from The Undertaker asking him about him buying a plane and he was like, oh, th this went too far. <laughs> he knows that he can get a rise out of the the internet audience. He did this with, with Will Ospreay. Um, he, he's doing it now with, with Tommaso and then he framed it on the backlash press conference call, essentially saying, look, this guy needs to understand the audience doesn't want to see him go out there and kill himself. He's very talented, but he needs to learn how to work smarter so that he's not constantly getting injured and then he's not on TV. So this is Orton pushing the buttons of the internet because it's fun and it's easy. And it's also trying to send a message to uh, to Tommaso, who who bit and bit hard, and that's probably the part of this that made Randy the happiest. For sure, yeah, I think Randy like uh, is an edible guy. I think like some night, like when when he has like a night home, he'll take an edible and just be hilarious on the internet. <laughs> oh, he fucking loves weed. That's for sure. Yeah. He's de he's definitely he's definitely out of out of all the wrestlers. Like, out of their internet personas, which doesn't mean anything, he's probably the guy I'd want to hang out with the most, I think. If I, like, relapsed and started to drink again, I think he would be the guy I'd want to party with. I'm not sure. Well, Robert, were you there when he was, like, ultimate prick? Or uh, Yeah, I. it's funny, because when I dealt with Randy, I had a lot of the, the worst tendencies that he had. This is when we had to bring in Cowboy Bob to uh, be an on-screen character and also kind of keep an eye on him backstage and then oh that's years... why they brought in bob or wait, wait one second that's that's why they brought in bob orton part of the reason was to kind of keep uh randy roped in and then part of it was help him on television but yeah it's it's oh it was good to have his dad there and somebody to kind of keep an eye on him especially because we moved him to smackdown so he wasn't under hunter all the time now what i've what i've found over the years is He's a, a big supporter of my account. He's been great about it. Uh, he doesn't care about the trouble that he gets in for it, especially if it was something that was anti-Brock around the time that Brock gave him the concussion uh, <laughs> yeah. or, or some of the other. What about when you made fun of him? Was he ever offended by that? No, he loves it. 
he he felt like I can never be a big enough asshole to him online without him thinking it's funny. And it was funny because I, I talked to him. I said, it's just, it's kind of crazy that in directly working with you, I thought you were the biggest prick. And now years later, as, as we've kind of both matured, he's a, he's a great guy. Yeah. That's, that's hilarious. Cause you, you hear about all these wrestlers having the thinnest skin whatsoever. And he does seem like a guy who genuinely can take it. He, yeah, he has, he has a very, he has very thick skin. There's, there's plenty of guys I've learned through Twitter do not have any kind of sense of humor whatsoever. And that to me is kind of a, a, a huge bummer. Yeah. I think the guy in wrestling that I've met who has the most even keeled temper has been Tony Schiavone, but <laughs> was that not your experience? Oh, I, I, I worked with Tony in MLW and it was, it was great. He, when he was on the level, he was a blast when he would get worked up. It was some of the funniest shit because I'm a uh, I'm a Florida Gator. He's a Georgia Bulldog, and he would just start getting so it's like fucking Gator, get over here! What what is this fucking bullshit? My monitor's not working. I can't hear shit. Where's my fucking script? And, and it's kind of and I would say this is the best argument in the history of this sport. <laughs> he also has a body of a Fabergé egg. So like, he we actually had to send him out to go basically get clothing for him because he would he would dress like somebody who just shrank about seven eight inches mm. and everything would look like willie loman from death of a salesman like his, his suits were all baggy and hanging off of him and it was it was like he was slowly melting and uh we finally kind of cleaned him up a little bit and and we're like the bitter ex-girlfriend we we took this this pile of shit and polished it up and then aew swooped in <laughs> and they got the benefit of our hard work. That's that's true. That's a, that's a lot of the a, a lot of the roster on AEW and NXT right now came from the you know not to not to pat myself on the back or, or our group that we had, but at the time that I was there, the, the the three of us that were primarily doing a lot of the creative and production were all ex WWE guys. So our goal was making this a boot camp for younger wrestlers or helping. Uh, rehabilitate guys who hadn't been on TV in a while and it's it's a thrill to see MVP on TV every week because we were working with him in this shitty hotel in Orlando where we did a, a boiler room brawl and I just think back to that maybe a year and a half two years ago and now the dude's main eventing on Raw and it's it's kind of nice to see yeah. he, he was a sweetheart when I met him that guy he's he's a delight Number three, Eric Rowan claims WWE. Ugh, Eric Rowan claims WWE stole the split personality fiend idea from him. Do you believe him? I mean, I wouldn't take credit for that so much. <laughs> that reminds me of a Todd Barry. There's this old Todd Barry joke where he's like the lead singer of uh, of Third Eye Blind or some or Three Doors Down or whatever it's like his MTV cribs and he picks up a guitar and he's like, he's like with this guitar, the songs write themselves. And then Todd Barry goes, sure. Blame the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Rowan, Rowan's idea was that he wanted to have multiple personalities and he would wear different masks. So it, it kind of goes back to the the line in the social network that, you know, just because uh, a, a guy makes a chair doesn't mean he has to pay the inventor of a chair. Um, I, I don't think that he, that the WWE was putting a lot of stock 
in the ideas that were flowing from Eric Rowan's giant beard. Um, <laughs> he, at one point, you know, at one point they made him a a, a Vinter. Um, then ultimately they gave him the giant fake spider. So I don't know that he that necessarily had Vince's ear and that Vince would have been like, you know, that's a, that's a great idea. Multiple personalities. So, cause they did have three faces of Foley years ago. And yeah. that feels a little closer to what the fiend is than whatever nuggets spilled forth from Eric Rowan. Dude, For that sure. spider. I, I mean, I took an edible on Saturday night with my wife and we watched phantasm and there's a part where they have like the goofiest spider attack though it's a horror movie if you haven't seen it it's it's really fun um and uh and i think the spider that they used in the 70s in that movie that they made for $200,000 was still a better spider than the one WWE had i'm just thrilled that they paid it off i feel like I think that there was what a would have they were going to pay it off I feel like they would have, if they would have released him and they never found out, this would have been one of those things on the internet where people would have been talking about it for 20 years. Like, oh, Heyman had a genius idea that was going to create the new Attitude Era, and that was what was inside that cage. But then they <laughs> fucked it up and released Rowan, and now we'll never bro, know. Bro, you know who was inside that cage? Who? Kenny Omega. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, uh, does the third AEW champ need to be a homegrown star? Scott? Yes, yes, absolutely. Who, who, who is it? Who do you think it should be? Who? I mean, look, I, I think I don't, I don't like the handling of it now. I think Jericho should still have the title. Um, I don't think he should have ever lost it. And then I think he should have lost to Omega. Or you should have had Omega versus Jericho be for the world title when this company first started. Omega should be booked like, like Lesnar. It should be like a big deal. Um, obviously that's not the way they decided to go, but I think the next champion, yeah, yeah. I think the next champions, um, or Omega. What do you think, Robert? I think you, you have to perspective last week where you said, where I think we talked, actually, we talked about it over the phone. Um, the, 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 the dangers of not having WWE guys versus having too many WWE guys. What are, what are your thoughts on this? You can have WWE guys. You're dealing with a, a, a high pedigree in terms of the talent. They've been trained. They know how to work on television. The problem is AEW trying to position itself as the alternative to the WWE can't just rely on, on the cast-offs. Even though the cast-offs that they have are incredibly talented, they need to make a homegrown star for their next champion because their first champion is Chris Jericho, ex-WWE guy. Their second champion is John Moxley, ex-WWE guy. The third champion realistically needs to be their, their homegrown guy, and I believe it should be MJF. I think he has the right uh, persona and personality to make that work. Uh, I, I've seen him work with... Uh, guys like Jimmy Havoc and Joey Janela, so he can wrestle that more hardcore style. And the mm -hmm. dichotomy between his character and the John Moxley character is, is very rich and deep. And they've already established him as a guy who can hang with Cody. And he's someone who has been unsullied by the WWE. So why not anoint somebody and show your roster, we have faith in the guys that brought us to the dance and our next champion's not going to be 
you know, uh, a, a Rusev or, or Eric Rowan's giant spider. I agree. I think you need to have MJF win the title. I don't, I think, you know, put it up, put it on him at all in or full gear and then keep it on him for a year and have Adam page be the one to take it off. And like they're big all next year's, you know, 2021's all in moment. They're being too selfless right now. I think that the, the problem is, and I think I pointed this out before, their, their core group of guys that founded the, the, the group, so Kenny, Cody, the Bucks, and, and Hangman Page, are trying so hard to not make it look like, because it's our company, we're the top stars, but they needed to step up. And, and Scott, you're 100% right. The booking of Kenny Omega, he should have been a huge deal. And anytime he's on TV, it should be an event. Instead, he just wants to be another guy. And that kind of sucks. So by default, your only big names that you're going to get are when guys show up from WWE. It's that old Monday Night War feeling of someone's jump ship and, hey, maybe they're going to get treated properly. It's so funny uh, you say that because this was last night when I was watching Dynamite, my wife was in the room and Kenny came out, you know, at the end of that revival, sorry, FDR um, uh, Young Buck segment, and she goes, "He's dressed in the same outfit you wore yesterday." <laughs> it was like high knees. <laughs> it was just a guy who's like, as Mike Lawrence said, he just looks like he was about to go to Epcot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he he had he gone to the WWE, they would have repaired a lot of those bad habits that Kenny has. But in AEW, because they like to let the talent flourish, a lot of those bad habits tend to linger. And when you don't have somebody that can kind of gently point him in the right direction, you're, they're going to play to their worst impulses and they're going to do what they think is, is right. And AEW certainly has the, the crew backstage of intelligent people who know what works, but they, they really like to be a lot more hands off and make it seem like a more fun, creative atmosphere. And I, I will say that, Robert, I, I prefer that way more than like the WWE model where everything feels either good or bad, but nothing feels great or terrible. Yeah, but the, the analogy I was going to use is it kind of feels, and this is a, a, a random comic book reference, but years ago when uh, Image Comics first got created, there was Marvel, there was DC, and then there were a bunch of creators who, who left at the height of the business and started their own company. And it was the hot thing for a little while where Marvel and DC were very middle of the road, but middle of the road survived. And WWE has outlasted a lot of the stuff that was bright and flashy and cool. And there's a reason why some of the tried and true stuff that they did worked. And AEW will eventually settle in and, and find that rhythm. Just right now, some of those guys, especially Kenny, they need to rope in and say, you need to be our guy. You don't need to be selfless. Number five, yeah. Scott's New Japan Corner. Finally, we have some New Japan news this week. Ah, yes, we do. Uh, this week, New Japan announced that they'll be returning next week, June 15th. That's what, like four days from now? Mm -hmm. Three days from now? Um, they're going to start uh, with the show called The Together Project. There's a mystery card. You're just going to find out when you tune in. Um, and then the very next day, they're going to start the New Japan for a wrestling event I've ever heard in my entire life. The Together <laughs> Project. That sounds like like 
what should have happened after Ferguson. (laughs) 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 Yeah, well, that's what they were calling, like, all of these goofy things they've been doing uh, since COVID, like, you know, backstage games and stuff or whatever. So, anyway, they're going to be empty arena shows. They're doing the day after the Together Project. What are they doing backstage? I haven't seen any of this. It's, I mean, they haven't done it much lately, but what they were doing. What the fuck is happening? Yeah, no, it's just like, um, like Jap- Japanese game show type stuff, like show and tell type things. <laughs> like, you know, you can watch them play bingo or something. I don't, I haven't been like watching Like in the middle it. of it, Bill Murray's character from Lost in Translation comes on. He's like yeah. really not happy to be there. Yeah, they do karaoke. Um, <laughs> so uh, that's going to be the first show since February 26th. So like, yeah, they've just been gone this entire time. Um, day after Together Project, they're starting the New Japan Cup, which is going to go till July 3rd. And then July 11th and 12th, it's two nights of Dominion uh, at Osaka Joe Hall. And it's, uh, I think, a third like capacity. So that's going to be their first show with fans. Everything else is empty arenas or whatever. Which, and that's way, like in Osaka Joe Hall, that's like 4,000 people. It's a lot. And as we're seeing now across the U.S., there is no there is no rule saying that these shows will have people in. Yeah. And then the New Japan Cup final. What? Oh, saying the New Japan Cup final um, is on the first night of Dominion. And then the second night of Dominion, the winner of the New Japan Cup final fights uh, Naito for both titles. Awesome. Yeah. I'm a little bit, dude, I'm like. What the like? How the fuck are WWE and AEW going to compete in an empty arena setting with New Japan? Well, I mean, they're going to because it's Japanese and this is English. Like most right. people aren't going to watch it at all, you know. But yeah, like for us talking to each other, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, is it really going to be that different since the audience for a New Japan show is generally a lot quieter? At yeah, WWE that's the shows, other thing. The audience is the show. Like you yep. need that energy. New yeah. Japan. It's it's the respectful. It's tennis. Uh, yeah, it's golf. Yeah, yeah. Well, now, I can't. I'm excited. I just my favorite thing about New Japan is I think um, the camera work is better than any other company. I think it comes off like a legitimate sport. The way they film it, it looks way more. Um, I don't know. It just looks more expensive. It looks like they put money into it. Um, and I wonder if they're going to change that because of an empty arena. I hope not. They film it like kickboxing matches. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, WWE, like, everything is much closer now. The, the fighting is, you know, they're very zoomed in. Uh, I just hope they don't do something like that. Robert, one question I had, because I was thinking about, you know, the whole Tommaso Ciampa, Randy Orton, the leg slapping thing. So Kevin Dunn must have, like, a list of camera angles for a wrestler to protect the move, Right. Because yeah, sure if they shoot shoot the move from an angle, it'll it'll look pretty bad, like the wrong. So, angle. so yeah. So you usually have four cameras running at any point in time. There's always the hard camera that's going, and then there's guys who know to get in different positions for certain moves, and they'll they'll call it because you generally know what the finish is or what the big spots are going into the match. So you know what angle is going to work best and and what angle's not, and that again comes with years of of discipline they know how to how to cover things uh there was something that was kind of glaring last night on on the uh on the dynamite show 
where the uh, FTR, when they hit that uh, suplex splash, uh, Dax or Cash, they, they, I don't remember which one it was, the guy who, who was coming off the top for the splash missed it. Jericho covered and said, well, he was hitting that big elbow. Uh, but then when they showed the the clear replay, they showed the same shot twice of him basically missing the spot. Yeah. So WWE is pretty well rehearsed in trying to cover up those those moves, and they teach their guys how to hit their moves for TV. What angle you need to be at, where in the ring you need to be standing, be cognizant of what those cameras are. Wow. I I, I will say like. Though, like, I didn't have that much of a problem with that spot. I loved that opening match last night. I thought it was great, um, for uh, especially because it was the best Butcher and Blade match. But they should never try to do a shatter machine on somebody the size of Butcher again. No. That was the only thing I saw that I was like, Ugh, that's a little awkward. Yeah, it looked like shit. Number six, backlash predictions. We're going to go through the card, guys. Let's see who's got the most prediction. Let's see who's got the most ones right, and then the winner gets, I don't know, a butt plug. I have no fucking idea. Um, okay, these are two matches that haven't been announced but are probably going to happen. Seth Rollins versus Aleister Black. I think that they're going to still put Seth over, right? They haven't. I, I think they'd have to, yeah. They, they definitely have to at this point. Robert, but does has, it work for you? Does Rollins work for you at all? Absolutely not. Um, I, I think you. that Rollins, the, the degree of regression that Seth Rollins has shown continually is, is astonishing. I, I think that you, you look back to where he was five years ago, coming off WrestleMania 31, cashes in the Money in the Bank briefcase. He's, he's very hot as the heel, got saddled with a lot of bad creative. And then it just, it's never really improved. And I thought that his, his babyface run last year when the audience seemed to finally start getting behind him was a decent sign. Then he got booked against uh, Bray Wyatt. And Bray Wyatt, as much as I, The Fiend is an entertaining character, is the kiss of death for anybody that he works with. You, you never fully recover. The audience doesn't know how to respond to it. And it weakens you. And... Seth, ever since that Hell in a Cell match, when the audience just clammed up and shit all over it, he hasn't been the same. And this Monday Night Messiah character is is very boring. Yeah, it's not. It it's not. It's not a good heel character. It's just really, really dull. Yeah, it's it's a it's a change the channel character for sure. I, I think that his promos have gotten better as that character, but I, I agree that the hottest he ever was was you know, that time period before 31 and everything leading up to 31 when he was the heir apparent. But I think that's the problem with WWE a lot is that like, oh, this guy's going to be the guy. And Seth is the biggest example of that before Mania 35. They're like, oh, he's the guy. And then, you know, they give him ball and, you know, WWE's way of booking things is so fucking ass backwards that it just gets in trouble. I mean, sometimes it's on the wrestler, but it just keeps happening. I, I really hope that doesn't happen with Drew. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the the, uh, the record that they've had hasn't been terrific, you know? So I think the difference between Seth and Drew is Seth comes across as a heel. Even when he's trying to be a babyface, it feels disingenuous. It feels yeah. like he's winking at the camera and you're a sucker for buying into it. But 
he's better as a smarmy heel than he is in this pious, righteous, uh, religious character. It's just, it's bad casting more than anything else. And they've been a victim of circumstance because they lost uh, AOP. They lost him being in front of live audiences who they would have hoped would have booed the shit out of this. So instead, you're talking in an empty building where there is no booing. He doesn't have his, his, his heavies. And the disciples that they've given him, Murphy and, and Austin Theory, they haven't been winning. If, if this character was supposed to be a strong messiah, if he was supposed to be this righteous message, then there's no reason why they wouldn't have all of the titles except maybe the, the, the world title give them the, the meaningless U.S. title and the meaningless tag titles, and then it looks like, all right, maybe his message is, is working. Instead, he comes across as kind of a goof, and it's repetitive storytelling after we've already seen him get his comeuppance because he went after Kevin Owens. He wrestled him at WrestleMania. He lost. And then he was disheveled for a week, and then Becky was pregnant. Now he's back to normal, and we reset, and now he's just going after guys, and it doesn't really make a ton of sense. No, it's, it, it comes off super desperate. It, it comes off like – I mean, to do that with, with, with a character that's, like, been around for so many years, to, like, throw in this random dog shit idea that he thinks he's a messiah. I mean, who else would they do that with, like, if they, if they at all – respected that person or at the very least thought like hey he's still well, Bray was great at it you know when it he just seems like a such a weird yeah but bray is behind that i don't know this seems like such a uh a, a desperate desperate move to save a character that nobody's been interested in in forever the most confusing thing to me is you have paul Heyman in charge of raw who was responsible for the raven character so he knows how to how to write a a cult leader better than probably anybody and the poor handling that he's had with with seth whether it's vince meddling or, or whatever it may be he's just not getting any kind of an inspired performance out of him and seth's a good soldier and he'll go out there and he'll read the lines that you give him he's just not infusing it with any kind of energy yeah yeah he doesn't yeah know he him. needs like foley energy like angry foley energy yeah, that's a good point. He does it right now. It does not feel like David Koresh. It feels like Heaven's Gate. Like I feel like Buddy Murphy and Austin Theory are just gonna their push is gonna be dead, but they're gonna have a brand new pair of Nikes. That's all they're gonna get. <laughs> uh, next up, this has not been announced, and my God, I mean, I hope it is announced and this fucking program is done. Uh, the Street Profits versus the Viking Raiders for the Raw Tag Team Championship. Is, am I, is, has anyone liked these fucking segments the past month? Anybody? No. no. Oh, people. So apparently people love them because anytime I shit on them on, online during Raw, I get 30 to 40 people. These are the best things ever. It's like Stockholm Syndrome with these, with these sketches. Um, I think people at first thought they were really, really terrible, and now they've just gotten used to them because it's nice to not be in the empty arena for a little bit of time. It's like when you're in prison and you get a little bit of time in the yard. That's what these segments have become. And For sure. it's great that they're able to show some personality, but it's, uh, it's not helping them. The, the, the Viking Raiders leaving NXT had such a mystique about them as these absolute killers. And the second they did that carpool karaoke segment with them, they were, they were dead. 
they're they're the bushwhackers now yeah yeah i saw them in long beach when they were war machine and i wasn't you know like i thought that guy ivar that's the one who flips a lot i thought he was super impressive but i was like this gimmick i was like it's so weird this works at this new japan show because this gimmick is straight out of 80s wwe it's vintage wwe but because they were they're such legitimate seeming just tough guys and it's not goofy the audience was willing to accept it and they put him in nxt long enough in front of that crowd who had seen war machine in in ring of honor and new japan they knew these are legitimate guys they were treated as such and then they come up to the main roster and it's everything possible to make them wacky and goofy and they're one week away from dancing gimmicks dude it's like i will say though that guy montez ford man if they just like if they just like like maybe make a mug a little less i feel like he could be a huge star for them he could be their their next big breakthrough talent he's got natural charisma he knows how to connect with the live crowd he knows how to connect through the camera and seem like he's having the kind of fun that makes you want to have that fun. And that's a rare quality to get in any kind of an entertainer. And he's very good in the ring, except when he's overselling with his face, trying very hard to be a, a a gif. Um, This is like vintage Meltzer this week, but he was talking about that, the decathlon (laughs) segment. And he was like trying to be nice, but again, he like, he just didn't realize he fucked up or he goes, you know, they keep doing this bit where, like, Ivar is, like, he's he's really handsome to all these, you know, overweight women. Like, that's supposed to be funny. And I was like, the last girl wasn't overweight at all. <laughs> Not even close. So he just basically just called some random girl fat, like, trying to pretend he was being close. It was the craziest thing. They're, they're, they're homely women compared to the, uh, the, the female superstars of the WWE or whatever you know uh rats dave Meltzer has lined up oh my god can you imagine a Meltzer rat holy shit i would I, i'd like to see i guarantee you he does happen but i don't know nah he, he fucks one of them and then he does an entire review of it after <laughs> uh five stars you couldn't go five minutes Duh. cat skills james versus jeff hardy who do you guys got this is going to be like a screwy finish, right? Because they want to do more terrible SmackDown episodes. <laughs> they, you know so I don't know Friday, if you saw. Right? Have you heard Did what you they're see? doing on Friday? That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Spoiler, if you haven't heard, apparently <laughs> Seamus is bringing in someone to drug test Jeff Hardy. Dude, here's the thing. is like Jeff has been sober for fucking eight months. Like the big thing they tell you when you quit drinking is like, don't make any big changes or talk about it in the first year. And Jeff's just been like, uh, all right, I guess this is the way I'm going to get paid. So well, fuck it. Also, he, I mean, he has to take a urine test and then Jeff apparently throws the urine in Seamus's face, right? Oh, hundred percent. That's what they ha- That's what they're going to do. That is, uh, that is, that is the brilliance that you get with, uh, with Bruce Pritchard. Because anytime you're doing any kind of an angle involving a drug test or urine, someone's getting piss thrown on them on Fox. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. That's, that's what Bruce always used to do. So it makes sense. <laughs> um, United so States certain. champion. What? I'm sorry, Scott. What? 
it's just like a really shitty circus. It's really. I'm it's, genuinely rooting for Seamus to win just because I want this thing to be over. But at yeah. the same, like you, you kill the Jeff Hardy character. If Seamus has made fun of his sobriety, he framed him for a DUI. <laughs> yeah. And then beats him. But yeah, I, th- I was sorry. I was going to say if, but you need Seamus because ever since Seamus has come back, he has been, I mean, completely useless. They have not done anything with him, but they need him to be strong because they need somebody to face Braun Strowman down the road. Jeff Hardy is being punished because he can't get out of his contract and Matt Hardy's in AEW. So they're going to go after the, uh, the other guy just to kind of stick it to him. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, the, the problem with shame is, is like, no matter how he does all these kind of moves, he does all, they do, they do all these storyline moves with Seamus where I think they want him to get Baron Corbin heat, but it never gets to that point. It's just, people just give up. They just don't give a shit. It's not like Baron where like Baron, at least everybody like genuinely hates and they, he does a list of reaction. Shame. It's, it's always been tepid in either direction. It's, it's, uh, it's very milk toast. A lot like his, uh, his complexion. And that's, uh, it's lousy because he's been at this for so long and they've spent so much time on television for him and it has never elevated his character. I think the, the best that he had was him and Cesaro together in, in, in the bar, just having tag matches. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. He, he's good in that Jim, the anvil position, United States championship, Apollo Cruz versus Andrade. Who do you guys got? Cruz gotta be and 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 not even uh, a compliment to Cruz even though I think he's he's good um but I think Andrade should not have that title I think he should be doing bigger things than holding the U.S. title I have no fucking idea why they hot-shotted the breakup of him and I mean they haven't broken up yet him and Angel Garza but like why have that triple threat match yeah don't get it don't you want to hold off that hold off on that a little bit the the quick uh, way in which they they built up Zelina Vega's little group, and then they had like they had the two of them and Austin Theory. Then all three of them got mowed down by Drew McIntyre in one night. Like they went through an entire month of storylines in in one evening. And you would think having them together, having some kind of a stable, especially for empty arena shows, it gives you multiple segments. You can do an Andrade segment and have Garza out there. You can do a Garza segment, have Andrade out there. You're stretching your small roster. They just sometimes cannot help themselves. But I think there's no way Andrade wins. They took the title off of him because he was out for that 30-day wellness suspension, and they didn't want to make it look really obvious. They also are, I can guarantee you, there's been conversations about we can't pull the title off of Apollo given the national culture right now. So yeah. we're going to, you know, celebrate him without making it look really, really obvious. He come, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't imagine. I mean, we'll get to it later on, but I just cannot imagine what Vince McMahon's fucking, like, I, whatever tone deaf speech he must have given to people about this. Like, where I know that he probably thought he was being woke or whatever, but I'm sure it was just awful. <laughs> 
I'm sure at some point during the speech, he talked about how he put the titles on Tony Atlas and Rocky Johnson. So he was ahead of the curve. Yeah. <laughs> also, I could see him like comparing his, his childhood and his climb to that of like an oppressed. <laughs> oh yeah. Like 100% he would be trying to compare the way he grew up with the oppression of black people in America. Oh no, it would have been the steroid trial. I know what it's like when the government comes after you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't want us to win. That's what we have in common. The entire time I was watching Amistad, I just kept thinking about how Hogan fucked me. <laughs> <laughs> Women's Tag Team Championship. Bailey and Sasha Banks versus Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss versus the Iconics. I don't think it matters. Sasha Banks, right? No, I think they take it off of them and then let them feud or something and blah, blah, blah. I mean, Paige I think give already it to like buried, the Iconics. Yeah. I was say, Paige buried the division, um, rightfully so. She pointed out, like, they have no idea how to handle this tag division. On Raw, to promote this triple threat match, they gave you a better triple threat match by doing <laughs> yeah. two of the teams and then putting Charlotte and Asuka in there. It's, it's clear that they have no idea how to deal with these tag titles. They tried to do it as part of their uh, woke for women edition. Um, and now they're stuck with these things. And there's just not enough women on the roster. They, they put the titles on, on Sasha and Bailey. And then Sasha made some comments about how she didn't like how she came across on, on Raw. Didn't feel like it was an in-character thing. It was just kind of a subtle, like, yeah, we're not being handled that well. They haven't decided if they're breaking them up or not. It feels very strange. It felt weird to take the titles off of Nikki and Alexa. The only reason to keep the titles on Sasha and Bailey is because the tag champs can appear on multiple shows. You can probably get some more mileage putting Sasha Banks and Bailey on on two shows instead of one. But I actually disagree because if you look at the numbers of Raw on Monday, they had that tag match. And then the Asuka and Charlotte match was probably the best match of the night. I think the numbers went down. Like, there's there's a point where it just gets – there's just too much fucking saturation. You don't want to see, you know, an hour and 15 minutes of Charlotte Flair wrestling. And I, and I think she's an incredible wrestler. You just don't want to see it. Oh, I don't, I don't necessarily need to see Charlotte Flair on, on all three shows or overexposed. I think the problem with Raw was they, they teased that they were doing Asuka and Charlotte then didn't deliver – and then halfway through the show, we're like, ah, just kidding. We're going to give it to you anyway. So the people that already felt jilted turned off their TVs and like, ah, I have it on the DVR or I'll look it up online. I don't care. I don't need to keep watching. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, speaking of Asuka, Asuka will be facing Nia Jax for the Raw Women's Championship. This has got to be Asuka, right? It would be so fucking crazy for them to put the title on It'd be on pretty Jax. hilarious. If she won... Yeah. I think the only, Oscar, I, the only reason I would say that she would win is that they would want Nia Jax and Charlotte as Charlotte is the face, but that to me doesn't make much sense. No, I mean, no, I think this is I think this is Nia Jax's punishment. I think she's gonna get her ass kicked and then disappear for a minute. I, I think they need to like bring the hammer down on her. And they haven't yet for some reason. I think Asuka's trying to come up with any reason to have to wear a hockey mask during this match because she's <laughs> got to be terrified. Um, they, they have to do the match. It's clear she's an afterthought. Raw was all about setting up Asuka and Charlotte again for down the road. They, they have to get through this and, and really hope that 
uh, Naya doesn't do any kind of permanent damage to to Asuka, and then she has to she has to go away for a, a long, long time. Dude, make it a fucking like a like a minute match. Have Asuka just hit her finish right in the beginning. Nobody's yeah. gonna complain about just that. Just kick her, kick her, kick her. Yeah. Universal Championship, Braun Strowman versus The Miz and John Mortison. Who do you guys got? That is such trash, man. Imagine that being your heavyweight title fucking match on SmackDown on Fox. Rarity, I don't have a problem with this. I understand why they did it. Because it's like Dude, Braun it's can't talk, so you got to give it to I know, but Braun can't talk, so why not give it to The Miz? And The Miz, you know, isn't enough of a threat by himself, so why not – Give it to both of them, and they're clearly they want to go with the fiend eventually. And Braun, so I, I don't know. I, I I don't have as much of a problem as other people. Obviously, Braun is going to win. If if Miz and John Morrison win, then I mean SmackDown just kind of becomes a children's show. I think that there's uh, this highlights every reason why Braun Strowman as world champion is a problem, and this was not the plan. This is he was the replacement for Roman Reigns. And Braun Strowman is too big and too strong to be a sympathetic babyface. So they're in a position right now where if you put him against Miz or you put him against Morrison, it is, it's, a, it's a lesser match. When you put them together against him, in Vince's eyes, this is making it equal. Forgetting the fact you just told this exact story with Nakamura, Cesaro, and Sami Zayn like three months ago. On top of which you're burning probably your, your top heel tag team to make them look like goofs. They're going to be the Keystone Cops getting thrown against one another, and Braun's going to pick one or both of them up and power slam them and pin them. And Vince is going to, well, you know, they, they lost to the world champion, and he's a monster. They'll be fine. You, you wind up damaging the credibility of a top tag team. So hopefully there's a, a, a DQ or, or something where everybody gets to save face and then, you know, they, they hit him with a chair. It has no effect. They do they EQ. They run away. Lights go out. Boom. There's the fiend. Great. We can move on to something else. Yeah. Um, what do you think, Scott? You think uh, it's got to be Braun, right? Yeah, he has to win. And it's going to be a comedy match because that's all he can really do right now until he has, like, a legitimate threat, which doesn't exist on, on SmackDown. So... It's just we're going to see a bunch of comedy um, matches from him. They were in trouble with Braun when they went back now for the hundredth time to he's a dude who flips vehicles. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Zach. Who, who do you think, Zach? What do you got, Miz and Morrison or Braun Strowman? It would be pretty silly to say Miz and Morrison at this point. Uh, Braun, I'm going to go with Miz and Morrison just, uh, just to be us. A contrarian. <laughs> Even though it's not going to happen. Uh, by the way, uh, our Patreon episode this week, which Robert will be joining us for, we will be uh, reviewing Backlash uh, immediately after it happens. So please tune in. Um, thank you to everyone who's become a Patreon so far. WWE Championship, Drew McIntyre versus Bobby Lashley. It's got to be Drew again. Of the course only it's Drew. I could see. The only way that I could see them putting it on Bobby is that Vince, look, Vince McMahon looks at Bobby Lashley's body and he looks at Brock Lesnar's body. And he's like, that's my SummerSlam main event. They can't jeopardize the, uh, the, the meal ticket that is Drew. I wouldn't be surprised if Lashley wins the match, 
by some nonsense but doesn't win the title because they can get a second uh, pay-per-view out of this uh, main event. And I, I don't know who else they have on, on Raw, but if you have MVP there and, and Drew gets counted out or, or something, some kind of screwy finish, I just don't see Lashley being one and done in that, in that main event heel slot because this is, believe it or not, probably the best he's been booked in forever. He, he's not pointing to his ass. He's not with Leo Rush. He's not stealing someone I mean, I else's wife. Rush, actually. I actually thought he was, that was one of the bright spots. Yeah, but you're forgetting, you're forgetting Leo Rush outside the ring during matches, loudly yelling Lashley on the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> kind of tug it. Yeah, I, I, see, I see your point. Man, I hope they don't. I hope they don't have Bobby Lashley win. As far as fresh Drew opponents, how they haven't turned Kevin Owens heel to feud with Drew doesn't make any fucking sense to me. So you got anybody? You got a guy there who can talk. You got a you got a guy there who can really like put the Drew McIntyre character over. I, I just don't think Kevin's that strong of a face compared to a heel. He's just got the personality of like a like a fucking Reddit troll. He's got that personality. So why not put him against Drew? who has a much more sincere babyface persona. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I don't know. I don't know what will happen. On deaf ears. And finally, guys, the greatest match ever, Edge versus Randy Orton. Orton in like a screwy finish. So they filmed this match already. Apparently it went like 30 to 35 minutes. Uh, so I guess we'll see if they edit it, you know, if it's at oh my God. 22 minutes or whatever. Over 20 minutes again, can they? <sighs> yeah, it can, it can go along with a lot of selling. The problem is giving it this, this title is like, even Edge thought at one point it was a rib. He did an interview where he said that. And it's just, you're setting it up to, to fail. So the problem is, Edge has been making fun of the angle all week, which is, is, you know, I understand why he's doing that because he's, you know, he's, uh, he's saving his face, but... I think he's pissed. I would be fucking mad. I'd be, like, genuinely pissed off. I'm in the extreme minority that I actually liked their WrestleMania match. Um, I didn't hate I it didn't the way... I didn't hate it as much as everybody else, for People sure. seem to, like, hate it. And I thought it was, it was entertaining. It was novel in certain points. Yes, it was long, but it told an interesting story, and I was just happy to see Edge back. But if this yeah, is the I last agree. time we're seeing Edge until... SummerSlam, uh, since he's on that very limited work schedule, then, you know, I could see Randy winning, but giving Edge a reason to want to come back. But then do we really want to see this a third time? No. No, I think Randy's going to win and that's going to be it. I, I hope so. They'll probably do. I mean, that's another one, like turn Edge heel and have him feud with Drew. There's a, there's a couple good options for Drew on there. Also, does this match go on last? I think so, right? It's got to. It has to. You're not, getting a t you're not doing a title change for the two main titles. You're most likely not giving a finish to one or both of those matches. So why not let Edge and Randy Orton main event? It's already taped. They already know what they're, they're yeah. getting out of it. So if they have any confidence in the match, it'll close the show. Yeah. yeah. That is true. And that, folks, is our uh, backlash prediction section. So tune in to our Patreon, where we'll be talking about it right after. Um, and I'm sure it will be the greatest Patreon episode ever. Number seven, Shawn Michaels goes on a rant about Black Lives Matter backstage at NXT. 
Now, uh, here's the thing about it. He supported black people. So I was like, oh my God. Like when I read this on WrestleZone, I'm like, oh man, this is going to be bad. This is going to be bad. This is going to be bad. And then I read it and he was like telling somebody like, you don't know what your privilege is. I'm like, what the fuck happened to Shawn Michaels at NXT? What happened is he learned how to plant stories really well in dirt sheets. This is, <laughs> this is such utter horseshit. Like to a degree that I can't even, like I would believe that they saw aliens at the performance center before I believe that this happened because everything about this story. So let me get this straight. An anonymous person in a closed off building where the only people there are the most loyal WWE employees saw Sean arguing with another producer. You don't know who the producer was that came out against Black Lives Matter, but you do know that it was Shawn Michaels defending them vehemently. This is like seeing a politician at a soup kitchen and being like, no, no, guys, let's, let's not take pictures. I don't need this getting out. Like, come <laughs> on. <laughs> what was it like working with Michaels when you were there? First time I met Shawn Michaels, he offered me a banana, which was one of the weirdest experiences of my life. You eat the um, I'm not going to say no. It's fucking Shawn Michaels. Yeah, you got to take the banana. That's, that's how they haze you. I didn't want to get thrown through a uh, barbershop window, so I'm going to do whatever <laughs> the dude tells me. Uh, he, was, he was really nice. This was, this was, he had found Jesus, and his eye was kind of wandering, and, and he was uh, uh, a, just a generally decent person to deal with. Yeah. He did not, he did, he, 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 oh, he, he had a wandering eye only when he stopped having a wandering eye. <laughs> Number eight, Teddy Hart got out of jail. So Shit. I guess during, I guess during all the craziness of this COVID pandemic and everything that's going on with the George Floyd protest, somehow Teddy Hart found a way to escape justice again. <laughs> That, that that should be up there with killer bees arriving here. I mean, he could do some real damage to this country. Having had the honor and privilege of working with Teddy Hart uh, in, in MLW, and having had the honor and privilege of holding one of those fucked up cats in my arms, the fact that Teddy Hart wound up in jail twice this year so far doesn't surprise me. The fact that he's gotten out twice once on supposedly uh drug possession with intent to distribute and then this where he he supposedly choked out a woman and then she's like oh no no we were just practicing wrestling moves which is really convenient it's it's teddy hart like none of this surprises me that dude is such a tremendous waste of valuable talent it's astonishing and he's gotten he's so, so many chances he's such a so good wrestler talented. He, he's he's talented. He's he's a little you know he, he's definitely out there when you uh, when you deal with him. But when you see him in the ring, you understand why he's worth the risk. But at the same time, he finds so many ways to wind up like he's at OJ Simpson level of if he didn't do anything, like he just has shitty luck. But <laughs> it's it's too many things happen to him that are just happenstance and coincidence and. His his comment when he got out was, you know, God is good, and, and that has vindicated me. God has it out for Teddy Hart. I'm convinced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God, God is trying. Yeah, There's no way that God is in the corner of a guy that I saw, like, hang out in front of Barclays so people would take pictures of him. <laughs> I mean, that's all the hearts. God and all of the hearts, it's really...
Yeah. But for him to have it the worst, he definitely has it the worst, right? I mean, oh, he yeah. is. Owen had it the worst. Owen... Okay, Owen had it the worst. Owen had it the okay. worst. No, but I mean, if we're doing the worst, there's nobody who's had it worse. Owen is just a great guy that a horrible accident happened to. Teddy sure. Hart's a fucking 10 part Netflix true crime series. I hope so. Never trust a man with an emotional support cat. I learned that the hard way. Number Between... nine. What, I was what, gonna say between us, we're, between us recording this, and when it comes out, Teddy will be back in jail. <laughs> <laughs> Number nine. What's the weirdest thing wrestling fans do online? The reason I brought this up on the ten count is I was looking at Instagram two nights ago, and I noticed that there was uh, a Kane, a Glenn Jacobs Kane, Mayor Kane Instagram account, and it was a fan account, but it was so bizarre because. He acted like he was Glenn Jacobs, like he was very PC, like nothing too crazy. And I was like, what fucking troll does this? This is the weirdest thing I've ever seen where somebody's like trying to be the guy, but to, for no benefit whatsoever. I went to high school with a girl who uh, it was it was around the time that came. It was May 18th. Do you remember that? May May nineteenth. May nineteenth is the movie was coming out, right? And then see no evil. Yep, yep, all that stuff. And so she would like make her own T-shirts, like leading up to that, you know, May nineteenth or whatever. And then, um, and then starting May nineteenth, she just like kind of dressed and acted like Kane until <laughs> until school ended. I swear. Like, <laughs> May 19th, all on her T-shirts and stuff, written on her knuckles, and then come May 19th. Oh, don't worry about Carly. She's just going through her cane phase. Yeah, she just going kind through of her big red cane. machine phase. All I heard in that story was that there was a girl that liked wrestling. Yeah, <laughs> 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 I saw the reason I, I was like on Instagram, and there was another picture where I guess for the the movie premiere of Sino Evil, they wouldn't they couldn't even let Kane wear a fucking suit. He had to dress as Kane. Like he didn't even dress as the character. He dressed as Kane and went to the premiere shirtless. It's the one of the most awkward things I've ever seen in my life. So when I, I was there when Sino Evil came out and we did a uh, a company premiere. Mm -hmm. So all of the commercials for the the audiences that were like raving about the movie were yeah. all of us. Um, I didn't, shit. I wasn't in the commercial. I had, there was nothing I could even fake saying about it. What scared the crap out of me with that movie was Kane sat in the row behind me and the movie's not very good, but he's not wearing a mask in the movie. It's just him. And when he's sitting behind you while the movie's going on, it's a weird experience, but he would start laughing right before every kill, which made it 10 times creepier. <laughs> was he uh, easy to work with? Very nice guy. I really, I mean, very intelligent, very nice guy, very willing to do whatever you needed to do and would do it in, in one take. Wow. I, my favorite story was, uh, if you go into the archives of Total F and Marks, myself and Nathan McIntosh watched See No Evil. And uh, my, favorite, my favorite thing about that movie is apparently Vince McMahon had called the director and wanted wanted the character, which was like, I don't know, I don't know, it was Cam, I forget, it was Jacob Goodnight. He wanted, Jacob. Him, to, he wanted him to wear a, a like three foot dick or something like that. Like he wanted uh, like Goodnight to have a gigantic penis. 
And I guess that's why, and they shot it and apparently it looked obscene, but in, during the movie, like the whole time, like he's kind of like Louis C.K. in it. He's like rubbing his dick in front of all the girls. And then it happens and you're just like, oh, all right. Interesting fact, the three foot dick was played by Kevin Dunn. <laughs> Dude, how was working with Kevin Dunn? I have heard nothing but horrible things. As I just said, the three foot dick was played by Kevin Dunn. <laughs> Dunn was uh, everything as advertised. Um, not nobody liked working with him. Um, I know some of the women that I worked with felt uncomfortable just dealing with him in general. And he was uh, he was not a nice dude. I, I mean, that's that's the most polite thing I can probably say. He was uh, he was a real a, a real barrier for anything that we wanted to do creatively. If, if Dunn didn't like it, he would find a way to stonewall it. And the, the feeling back in 2005, 06 was, we're going to wait this guy out. It's 15 years later, and uh, he's like herpes. He ain't going anywhere. He ain't going anywhere. Sometimes the outbreaks are worse than the last. So, yeah, what, what, what are the weirdest things that you guys have seen wrestling fans do online? So this one, it's not remotely funny and it it bothered me to no end but i've seen oh i know i've just it's just when i hear it i thought there's i've seen it a couple different times where people have created twitter accounts for benoit's kid that he had that that died and it's like it's so oh my god it's so beyond distasteful to just a degree of like i don't understand how messed up you have to be to do that and they they do it. They think it's funny. And I and the fact that I've seen it more than once speaks volumes about how just how some people are. Dear God. How about you, Scott? Scott, you made that account, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, to me, it's any interaction uh, with female wrestlers uh, that goes beyond like great match. Uh, always creeps me out. I know there's like people post pictures of Diva's belly buttons and uh, oh my God. you know, whatever, whatever skin is showing at any time. That really irritates me. And then just the person who buys into all of it, um, but they're like an adult and uh, they come off like a Russian bot kind of. Oh, I, I get that. I, occasionally people will, will respond to my account as, as adults in complete seriousness, getting mad at me because their favorite wrestler just lost. And, you know, I can't believe that they lost They're They're the best. And, uh, you all should be fired. I'm going to burn down your house. God, you, you were there with Benoit, right? So you must've, you said, how were the interactions with him? So quick, quick Benoit story. Um, early on in my tenure, probably my second week there and he was he was probably my one of my favorite wrestlers uh before going into work there and i needed to get bob holly for a pre-tape and they were in the, the locker room and the etiquette is you knock on the door you you you, you peer your head in and you're just very politely hi i need so and so can you please come so my my first week there you shake everybody's hand you meet everybody i shook chris's hand perfectly fine second week i knock on the door i'm like hi we need we need bob for a pre-tape and i was like i'll be out in a minute Locker room door flies open. Benoit comes in, comes at me, starts just screaming at me. 
who the fuck are you? How dare you come in here? You introduce yourself, you know, all this other shit. And I'm like, I fully introduced myself to him. We had a whole conversation um, prior and he went off and it was genuinely terrifying. And then I went up to him the, the next week to apologize. I had no, no recollection of what I was talking about. Oh my God. And I was like, okay. Signs, and I just, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to chalk it up to like, <laughs> All right, you know what? They have plenty interact, but it was to me, it was very like intense and and kind of freaky. And the fact that it just completely in one ear and out the other, uh, yeah. Wow, I'm uh, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight because of that story. You weren't there when it happened. What's got? Were you there when he when he? uh, No, no, I I Kevin Sullivan did what he did. (laughs) <laughs> i didn't realize you were a sullivan truther um no i was it was it was mongo <laughs> but no, i was i was not there when uh when that i got i got a call about it from people that were there to let me know but no thankfully i was i was not there to uh to to deal with with all of that i was there when when eddie passed and that was that was tough under those circumstances, I can't imagine what it was like under the uh, under the Benoit circumstances. Number ten: Did Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer steal Akeem the African Dreams gimmick? <laughs> uh, no, I, I saw that. I mean, it was it was obviously really corny and really cringe-inducing. Um, but I also, I, you know, like I don't know. It just reminds me of like when like an old person like a like a grandma starts to rap it's just really uncomfortable i don't know if this, i was pissed as the internet was about it but I don't know. it felt a lot like when owen hart joined the nation of domination more than anything else <laughs> what i'm waiting for and i'm shocked at it because everything right now i mean they 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 just you know canceled gone with the wind uh from hbo max and everyone there's a lot of sensitivity the fact that the DX Nation skit hasn't reemerged for the hundredth time to try to cancel Hunter and make them have to do another round of apologies, I'm kind of surprised that hasn't bubbled up again, where they're in full, basically, blackface on TV in a clip that's been aired a thousand times on TV. I just don't think people give a shit enough about wrestling. You know, like, when Jimmy Fallon does it, and when, when Jimmy Fallon did it, I thought it was like him and I know that Daryl Hammond used to do like Jesse Jackson, mm-hmm. um, but he didn't like it was he was just doing a Jesse Jackson impression. He had a really good Jesse Jackson impression. He shouldn't have been in blackface, but it was it wasn't like he was trying to like you know make a scene out of it. Uh, but I just don't know if people care. I think people already assume that happened. Like people are like, oh, pro wrestling, yeah, they use blackface, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know it's thing that it's so cartoonish. Um, it's hard to even connect like real emotion to to things like that because it's often so silly when um, when weird touchy things like that happen. It's never during a serious. I mean, the one time I guess Triple H Booker T where it felt like serious. That was awful. Yeah, that, that was, was fucking weird. uncomfortable. But most of the time when they deal with race, it's so stupid. Um, that yeah, it's like yeah, we can't take this serious. This is just a uh, a joke for somebody plus i mean it's it's hard if you're a newsroom when you've ha- when 
when they didn't even push the Chris Benoit story that much, like it, compared to what they could have done with it. That could have been a year long story. And it was pretty much out of the news cycle in a couple of weeks. Like, I just don't, th- unless something in wrestling is like very outrageous, I don't think that news gives a shit, you know? I don't know. I guess we'll, uh, now that we've put it out into the universe, we'll see. I think wrestling is like the last thing to get canceled in America. Wrestling will never get canceled. Wrestling will never get canceled. Yeah, it's uncancelable. It's uncancelable. No. Yeah, it's too, it's too dirty. Like, what are they going to lose? Oh, no. <laughs> we don't have the fucking uh, cricket wireless deal anymore. You know, it's yeah. like, this is not going to happen. Stacker uh, 2 will go out of business. <laughs> um, and then just a bonus topic. What did you guys feel about the heel turn from Phantasma on NXT? Just so we can get an NXT topic in. I think this guy could be a star, man. I, I really do. Sure, but that wasn't the way to go about it. It's too confusing. And it doesn't make any sense. What was confusing about it? Just because they didn't account for all the missing luchadors? or? Well, yeah, and the fact that the two guys were already abducted. So it's like, it was all fake? Was it all fake? Is that, I mean, I guess, yeah, he could explain more. Sure, sure, sure. I think he could be a star. I just don't understand why you have to like weigh everybody down with writing like this. It just seems like a weight. NXT, I mean, this and Dexter Loomis, they have become more WWE lately. And I wonder why that is. Maybe it's the two hours, I'm not sure. It's the two hours, it's them competing with AEW. And they're not isolated the way that they were before. Because now you're taping in the same building that, that Vince and, and the, the main crew are in for Raw and SmackDown. You are in the direct line of fire. And they're going to start coming up with ideas. I think that the surprising thing about uh, Phantasma is masks still mean something in 2020. Even in WWE, they've established it with Mysterio. To have him just remove his mask like that yeah. with, with such little fanfare, there could have been a lot more value to that. Whether it was him removing the mask and renouncing the, the lucha culture or him potentially losing his mask and this driving him to it, there, there's a lot of value to it. Him just taking it off, I feel like they left some money on the table with that. Well, I think it goes back to, I don't know if it was you or Scott that said it, that like, or maybe I've even heard it on Meltzer. I've listened to so many fucking wrestling podcasts, but the company is the biggest star. WWE is the biggest star. So then putting them, like, they're like, of course it's over. We put it in the last segment of a show. That's huge because we're WWE and the last segment Mm -hmm. means a big deal because that's what Austin used to do. Not realizing that the reason that Austin was in the last segment was because of Austin, not because of WWE. Exactly. I I just think that there's so few things that are, that still hold value to a, an audience in 2020 that, that means something that hasn't been done to death. I think that somebody losing a mask is, is still impactful. It's still, it's still important. And, uh, and Scott, I do hate to break it to you. It, it, it is all fake. No. Sorry, Scott. We had to let you know at some point. New Japan isn't. New Japan's not fake. New Japan's, you're right. New Japan's they want to do that over there. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, still, that's, still, that's still pure. That's still <laughs> yeah. pure. Well, folks, we are out of time, but you can check us out on Patreon this Sunday. Uh, where we will be reviewing Backlash right after we watch it. Boys, you got any plugs? Uh, 
Yeah, uh, listen to my other podcast, Garbage Days, with comedian Brennan Sagalo. We just talk about life and shit, and it's I really like it. You will, too. Okay. Awesome. And Robert? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Bailey's Elbow. It's nothing but pictures of Bailey's Elbow, comments <laughs> about Bailey's Elbow. Uh, it's primarily the left one, because that's the one that does it for me, but occasionally <laughs> I throw the right one in just for just for kicks. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at WWCreative underscore ISH. I will be uh, watching Backlash, but if you follow and read any of my tweets, you then have to subscribe to the Patreon, or else you're a goddamn thief. Yeah, you're a fucking thief. He's Absolute giving you it away for free. Uh, put some money in this man's pocket. Uh, and I am supposed to be doing the Comedy Connection in Providence, Rhode Island in two weeks. Uh, I don't know if that's still going to happen with the COVID numbers, but we'll see. Uh, also, uh, my I think I brought this up in the podcast, but on my website now, I, now I have my newest Comedy Central set. So guys, go check that. And you know, please subscribe to the Patreon. Um, we're uh, doing a lot of fun stuff over there. Zach, you got anything? No, we're good. All right, sweet. Total F and Mark's breaking news. Paul Heyman is stepping down in his role on WWE Creative, and now Bruce Pritchard will be helming the entire ship. What do you guys think? Yeah, so this it's is the statement that, that I, I've read um, from WWE on Twitter. In an effort to streamline our creative writing process for television, we have consolidated both teams from Raw and SmackDown into one group led by Bruce Prichard. Paul Heyman will concentrate on his role as an in-ring performer. Why do they have to make everything sound so unfunny? This seems like a lot. I mean, this seems like hell for the writers, right? I mean, they just found out. I don't Probably know how many are left. You know, when I, when I, I, I literally, because, you know, I interviewed right before COVID and everybody, all of my contacts that were at WWE have been fired besides Bruce. So, like, I don't know how many, like, it's, it's probably just, you know, a team of, you know, like, it was a team of 40. So I assume it's going to be 20 or less. And yeah, I'm sure they're just writing around the clock. I think right I was going to say I think right now they are in total panic mode. I, I think that the fact that Paul lasted as long as he did writing raw is is pretty impressive, but they've been writing it under this pressure cooker of churning out weekly TV. And my guess is their idea was make Paul the the scapegoat for the low ratings, get through backlash under this new regime and then next Monday's Raw is the new Bruce Pritchard era of the WWE, which means twice as many DUI angles. <laughs> well, you know, I, I will say in, in Bruce's def defense, I think one of the best things that WWE has done in the last couple of months was that Bray Wyatt, John Cena match at 30. I mean, it was an, it was an angle. It wasn't really a match. And I, I know he had a lot to do with it. So I, I don't think he gets necessarily as much, credit as he should just because you know everybody calls him a stooge but he had a lot to do with that angle uh and it was very good but you've actually worked with him robert so you would know you know better than us i mean i've worked with him on the roast i did his roast and i've worked with him on some comedy stuff but I, i've never worked with him in a wwe capacity i mean i when i, I worked with him in wwe i worked with him in, in mlw he definitely knows what he's doing i think that the challenge is paul Heyman is the 
flashier creative guy. He's he's the the genius behind ECW. He's the the great creative mind. So him leaving right now is only going to lead to no pun intended a backlash from the audience where you're you're replacing you know Aaron Sorkin with Brett Ratner. So <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be uncomfortable and the fact that now both hey, brands man, I love are rush hour. <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, mean, look, I, I mean, I don't know if I love it, but I, I, I think that it's naive for people to think that Raw or SmackDown is a Paul Heyman product or a Bruce Pritchard product. It's a Vince McMahon product. I think I said to you offline, we were talking last week, the Paul Heyman that you're getting right now is not the Kevin Smith who wrote Clerks. It's the Kevin Smith who did Cop Out. You're, you're getting a, a hired hand and yes. he was doing the best that he could. And you saw those glimmers of, of certain guys potentially flourishing and getting over. But it goes back to what we discussed earlier in the show before we knew this, the, the failure of the Seth Rollins character, the muddling of the Zelina Vega stable, the, the general just kind of disarray of what's going on on raw. So maybe having everything under one voice and it being Bruce Pritchard, Maybe that'll in Vince's mind right the ship. Yeah, I don't know. It really does just feel like, you know, like hurting cats. But you see a lot I of storylines being like just cut off. Do you so see like usually, a drastic change where almost an announcement is made? So I think that they're going to continue as as businesses as usual. They view. The, the, the writing teams, they're, they're separate, but then they come together. They're going to go forward with whatever the general ideas are. It's not like Vince was letting Heyman do stuff that Vince didn't approve of. It's just mm. who's the pencil putting this on paper instead of being Paul, it's now all under Bruce. I think this is Vince's way of trying to kill Conrad Thompson. Like he <laughs> wants to bring back Bruce, didn't get rid of the podcast. Putting him in charge of SmackDown didn't get killed the podcast. This has got to be the last, the last straw. Uh, Dude, all I want to see, I, w- I would love to be a fly on the wall uh, and watch Bruce Pritchard show Asuka how to walk in a kabuki-ish fashion to the ring. Have you ever seen see Bruce walk? That's how Bruce walks. He, he's got a very – he's chafed a lot. Like, it's naturally going to be that kind of – yeah. that's why he wears the baggy shorts because you don't want those thighs rubbing together um, <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be tough and i think that he'll he'll take the the flag i think that there's probably a lot of goodwill for pritchard because of the podcast so they're they're hoping that there's not going to be a total upheaval but is it going to stop someone from watching raw probably not in the same way putting Paul Heyman in charge of Raw didn't suddenly lead to a massive spike in ratings. I don't mean, I don't know what they, I think hopefully the first thing they do is get somebody new for Drew to feud with. I just think that like, I really like MVP. I really like him on the mic, but I think you need somebody like that way that company is built. Like AEW is building itself in a way where the manager is maybe not as important as the wrestler, but they're as important on promos. And WWE has just never done that with the exception of Paul Heyman. They just haven't done that in it's since before the Attitude Era. So I, I, 
I like that Heyman's at least staying on as an on-camera character. There's no way they would let him go because he would wind up in Jacksonville working for AEW, and that would be their their big saving grace. I think that uh, if they can find the right spot for him and put him back on TV, he he's I'm surprised he never wound up as a character during this empty arena era to begin with because he's so captivating that he doesn't need a live crowd to feed off of. You had a little bit of it with Brock in the build up to WrestleMania, but then not having him on TV every week and he's backstage, it feels like a waste. Yeah. I think we just lost Scott, but he quit in protest. Uh, he quit. In pro- Scott, are you still here? No, he's not here anymore. I quit. Is he gone? I don't think he quit. He might have lagged out. I don't know. We just fucking we just Paul Heyman Scott. He's being replaced by Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> All right. Well, let's end on that, folks. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, Patreon members, we'll see you Sunday. Everybody else, oh, there he is. He's back. Oh, there he is. He's back. Hey. All right. Oh, you guys didn't get lost. That's all I care about. Okay. Uh, no, we just said that you uh, you you got Paul Heyman. You're out. <laughs> all right. So yeah, subscribe to the Patreon if you want to hear our thoughts on Backlash. If not, we'll see you next Thursday. Have a good one, guys.